welcome to the Joan Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Vittengold. Joan is a place of truth and connection, a place to discuss mental health, trauma, struggle, and the many difficulties brought to us in life. Through my own journey, I struggled to open up with others about my difficult life experiences, but once I did, I began to see that everyone is on their own journey in one way or another. This podcast has taught me more than I could have imagined, but most importantly, it has taught me that vulnerable connection through storytelling is one of the most powerful ways that we heal ourselves, heal each other, and thus heal the world. I am so honored that the guests of this show have trusted me to bring their stories to you. And so I hope you enjoy the second season of Joan. Welcome back to Joan. Today's guest I'm really excited about. I say this in every episode, but I'm very excited to talk to Jana Romer, who uh, was a teacher of mine. We Again, we get into this a little bit in the episode, but I've known her for like seven years, I think. Um, I used to go to her moon circles and her yoga classes in Venice Beach when I was living there. Um, I always just resonated with her and what she had to say. She just has this real presence about her. I still, um, interact with her a lot. Um, I have my charts read, my, my astrology chart read by her. She's the only person I trust, um, every year or so, uh, when she is doing readings, which she's not right now, but she will be opening up to it again. But she does a monthly new moon circle and they are incredible it's done online um and i've been doing them since she started them in the pandemic back in april so highly recommend those but i will get into that we'll get more into all of that in the episode so today uh we talk about um her childhood depression really kind of had this existential type of depression when she was a kid questioning why she came here and what was here before um she really struggled with intrusive thoughts as she got older um at her Saturn return at the age of 27, 28, she broke her back while skiing and, um, her whole approach to life kind of shifted. Um, she returned to her mission and what she came here to do. So we really get, uh, talking about kind of finding your purpose, um, the importance and history of astrology. And then she tells us the story of her amazing grandmother. So I hope that you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it and enjoy honestly i'm so excited to have you on thank you so much for coming for coming on (laughs) thank you Uh, for having me (laughs) i you're probably i'm probably most excited to have you on i don't know if i should say that (laughs) (laughs) that's okay to say (laughs) (laughs) but i have been i mean i've been i feel like (laughs) I love that the first question is always, can you introduce yourself? And I feel like there's an infinite number of ways to answer this question. (laughs) (laughs) Right now, in like my, my greatest honesty, I feel like my life has been completely hijacked through parenthood (laughs) and maybe hijacks the wrong word, but like parenting has enraptured my, my attention and my intention with everything right now, because with the um, pandemic and everything and the kids not being able to be at school or in care, I mean, 
it's and also not having support my whole life revolves around my children <laughs> that's not why you have me on here <laughs> um, <laughs> um what i what i um you know i think another way to introduce myself though is that i'm highly passionate about helping people to remember who they are and to awaken to a quality of self-love that is unshakable and we do this through practices of self-recognition. So whether we look for reflections through the current astrology and the lunar cycles to help guide us or uh, self-observation practices such as yoga nidra or different meditation or yoga practices or journaling or contemplation, or simply by developing the kind of mind that is able to sit in witness to oneself while experiencing the world. Um, these are all the skills that um, I help people develop within themselves in order to really remember who they are and step into their mastery and their empowered existence. Because one of my foundational beliefs is that we all came here for a reason. And mm. when we don't know what that reason is, it's our job or our reason is to seek that reason, to remember that reason. Mm -hmm. and, so, and what an amazing time to be kind of opening that portal for so many people. Yeah, it's really special because, I mean, in the astrology right now, um, um. what we're experiencing, <laughs> I've been calling 2020 the great dissolve, you know, and another one of my beliefs that can be highly controversial and triggering for some people is that um, life is happening for us and not to us. And mm. so even the most challenging of experiences are here to teach us something, to help us awaken. And um, I feel the same about the pandemic. I don't feel like it was a mistake. I don't feel like this was unplanned. <laughs> and and both of those statements that this was a mistake or this was unplanned could filter through many, many different perspectives. You know, it could yeah. filter through the perspective that it was planned <laughs> or it was manufactured, or mm -hmm. it could filter through the perspective that there is a divine plan. You know, there is a divine plan playing out. And so however it is unfolding, personally, I'm not as interested in the in the um, conspiracy theories or that kind of thing, because my trust is that on some level we're being guided and on yeah. some level we are being supported for a transformation that is so enormous that as an individual, there's no way for us to comprehend the whole of it. It will be yeah. something that we look back at a hundred, 200 years into the future and say, wow, I wonder how that was like to live, you know? <laughs> but I've been calling this year the great dissolve because the reality as we know it is dissolving and we are, we are being initiated into a new way of being. And with that comes all kinds of suffering and death and hardship and mental health challenges and physical yeah. health challenges and, yeah. you know, relational challenges and all of it. So, yeah. um, but what I, where I like to start, so, so it's interesting. Um, you know, I love your perspective and I share your perspective on life happening for us and not to us. And I think that, like you said, it's difficult for a lot of people to, 
to really accept that, I think. Um, and it's an interesting one when it comes to mental health and illness and, you know, all of that kind of stuff in our, in our, in our lives. Um, and so where I'd like to start out, um, I like to talk about childhood a little bit. If you can tell me a little bit about your upbringing. Well, I grew up in a very small town. I think it was 150 people. Um, and I actually grew up on an acreage outside of that town to, uh, my, my parents, my mom was raised by farmers and their, their lineage is Swedish. So my, my mom's side of the family are Swedish immigrants to Canada. And then my father, um, yeah, he, I mean, I don't know what to say about them, but we, we grew up in a very small town, a really simple life. You know, I spent a lot of time outdoors and in nature and quite quiet. We, the town was so small, there wasn't access to cable television. So <laughs> there was two TV channels. One was the CBC, the Canadian Broadcast corporation and the other one was a local radio or local tv station but there really wasn't much for us to be sitting in front of a tv my mom was really against video games so we I didn't grow up playing Nintendo like a lot of kids my age mm. a lot of adults my age um and instead we had you know cats and a horse that lived in the in the yard and um it was just a really quiet simple life it was really nice and it's not without its hardships, you know, growing up in a small town, you get labeled as something and you never live out of that label. And, you know, um, yeah, so there was challenges definitely, but it was, I, if I had to like put my childhood into a category, it would be a really simple, somewhat meditative upbringing, all meals made at home, giant garden. I spent time staring at the stars and the moon, like my interest mm. with the sky didn't begin at adulthood. It was, you know, it's a foundational piece of my existence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then my mom, you know, she was, it's, it's hard for me to imagine not having a mom that just loves you unconditionally because, you know, my mom, even in the moments where perhaps she had to discipline us, she always made sure that we knew that we were loved no matter what. And my, my dad, um, always held the belief that we're capable of doing anything. And as long as you have somebody that believes in you. And so I was raised in a fair bit of like mental health privilege. Wow. Um, yeah. yeah. It makes being frustrated with whatever my concept of God was at that time that I uh, didn't know why I was here. And my solution was that I would just kill myself so I could go back to God and then come back remembering Wow. And so wow. at a very young age, it wasn't that I was having suicidal ideations, but I was, because that it wasn't from like the perspective of pain or suffering. It was like this idea that I could go back to where I came from to remember why I came. And, um, uh, and then I remember I was in the second grade and a friend of mine's uncle had committed suicide. And that concept was given to me. And I realized, no, that's not, that's not, <laughs> that's not what I want to do. Um, but then I was depressed, you know, I was so, I was depressed. I, there was no way that you, somebody could convince me that it was good to be here because I couldn't remember why. And so wow. it, it came from a completely different place, but it, it was still there. And then um, in sixth grade, <laughs> I know this is so trivial and so minor compared to what people go through, but I was basically outcasted by the other kids at school. And so I was already feeling 
depressed and sad. And then I was then outcasted and didn't have a social structure. And then I was, my mom says bullied. I wouldn't say that I was bullied, but I was a figure skater. And there was one girl in the, in the crew that was really mean to me the whole time. Like I didn't hit puberty till I think I was out of high school and I had no boobs and they called me boardy. And so it came through like torture on a social level. And then that translated into a lot of social anxiety through like high school and university. And then there was a time where, you know, thinking about not being here anymore became a real thing, you know, in my, in my young adult life. And so I had to really work through, um, like, I guess almost my reason for being here came to me very naturally, like the, the desire to know why I'm here came naturally. And then the torture of not knowing was really real and feeling like an outcast, like I never belonged anywhere. And the social anxiety, it got to the point where I would be in a room of people and my mind would be so loud that I would have no idea what was going on in the room aside from my own self torture. Mm -hmm. And so, and I would say that went from like 14 till 20 five, 26, 27 years old, wow. you know, it was a long time where I just kind of lived in my own personal hell. But also within that, there was a lot of seeking and a lot of, you know, reading philosophy in my early twenties. And, um, yeah, you know, it was, I, I mean, I'm, I'm 20 years into studying yoga philosophy, but that wasn't the beginning of the philosophy that I was studying. I was reading Carl Jung and, mm. um, you know, different philosophers and, and getting into things like astrology. Religion never really cut it for me as a place to find solstice. The stars mm -hmm. and the moon made a lot more sense to me. Um, and then it was really when I just, I, I, uh, <laughs> I was on a ski trip with, uh, my boyfriend at the time's friends who of the crew, I got along with most of them, but there was one or two of them that really, they were like, their presence was like somebody was grating nails on a chalkboard constantly. <laughs> it's like a violation to me to be in their presence. And, um, uh, I'm on this, I was on the ski trip with them and I, uh, was hanging out with the crew that I really enjoyed and I fell and in the park and I broke my back and my whole life came to a screeching halt. Wow. And, uh, I was taken off the ski hill that day. I remember there was two, two women there and one I love to this day. I wish we were still friends, but just, you know, the way life goes, we're not, but I just adored her. She came to the hospital with me and was amazing. And then there was another woman who was the nails on the chalkboard that was like, I'll come with you to Edmonton. And I was like, no, no, no. Like I will go alone, you know, in the ambulance to the hospital. I was like, I will go alone. And so I, I did, I went alone, um, on a, almost a five hour ambulance ride. That was wow. the beginning of the initiation into really changing my whole entire life. Whoa. Okay. So yeah. what, how old were you at this point? When, when did this happen? This happened during my Saturn return. Okay. <laughs> so, wow. Astrology, that was my Saturn return. Wow. I was, I think I was 28 years old, if I remember, 27 or 28. 
And so before, before we jump into that real quick, um, did you, for the time period from 14 to 27, roughly that you said that you had struggled with depression and whatnot during that time period, did you, um, were you on medication at all? Did you ever go down that road? No, I, re- I would never okay. just me for myself. I'm not saying that other people shouldn't, but I would, I personally would never. And like the truth of that time is that nobody else would have guessed that that was my inner state. You know, like I was fun. I partied. I went traveling. I had some really good friends. Like I was the kind of girl that only ever had one really good friend, like one person that I trusted. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and those friends stayed like I'm still those one friends, depending on where I was living at the time, they're still really dear, close friends. Yeah. 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 that. Um, okay. So interesting about the, the medication and you still have that stance. Well, you know, one of the teachings that I took really early was from Buddhism. And that's that the mind, like we are our own best therapist and it involves deep inquiry into our own mind. And even, you know, through all of that, I was always able to recognize that my pain and suffering was not near the pain of suffering who was sexually abused or physically beaten or raped or lit, grew up in poverty or with neglect or any of those things. And so even amongst my own suffering, I always recognized that it was privileged suffering. I would don't know mm-hmm. if I would use that word now, but I also recognized that I got like, I also recognized that I would be the only person that would be able to get me out of it. Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. And my mom was also very anti-pharmaceutical. So even if I had a cold growing up, we didn't really get pharmaceuticals. My mom would treat us with hot water and lemon. And we sometimes had this thing. I don't know if it's a thing, but it's called neocitrin. That would be the extreme of what we would get. Yeah. You know? Yeah. (laughs) And so I grew up in that mindset. And then I also taking in those teachings that we are our own best therapist that only we can save ourselves. We're pretty dominant. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's jump now back to, or forward to your, um, to your Saturn return and the (laughs) accidents. So tell me about that. Uh, how deep do you want to go? Because it's quite a story, you know, it's quite a story. I mean, that's intense. You broke your back. That's in, that is full on. Yeah. Well, I mean, karma is a bitch (laughs) because I was not behaving well, you know, like I had been in a relationship uh, that was quite long and a really beautiful, supportive, wonderful relationship that also had its own challenges. And I mean, I'll save the insideness of that relationship, what was challenging us, but it was enough for me to like throw my middle finger up to the relationship. And, um, I had, tried to break up with him and he wasn't, he was like, no, let's work on this. Let's work on this. And in that process, I actually started seeing another guy. I told him about the other guy. I was like, I'm interested in this other guy. You know, like I was being a shit. I was like drinking, smoking tons of weed. I was, you know, just being, I wasn't being my best self. I was out of integrity in so many ways. And I was, um, yeah, I was just behaving not as good as I should be, you know, like I wasn't living in my, in my power or my truth Mm -hmm. and I was causing harm with other people. And so 
um, when I broke my back, I had, so he and I had, uh, so I broke it off with the guy I was having an affair with. He and I had moved to a new city. We were in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And I had only been there for maybe four months. I hadn't really made friends my own. I only had his friends. I also, on the Friday before I quit a job that I had, I was working in, um, I was working in event planning. I was helping build and manage uh, events. And the woman that I was working, working for was just so ridiculous. I couldn't handle her. So I quit on Friday. And then Saturday, I broke my back. And um, I, I kind of view it as, and at this time in my life, I had saved the money for my yoga teacher training three, two times and spent it on something else. One, I, I, you know, like I spent it on traveling and then the next one, the guy that I was dating, he was going off to New Zealand and I chased him. I didn't chase him. He invited me, but I spent the money that I was supposed to do my teacher training with and went to New Zealand with him. And so I, like, I knew this was the direction I needed to go in my life. Um, and it was, I was battling with, well, I have a university degree and I should be getting a real job versus I really just want to teach yoga, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I view that time as my life coming to a screeching halt because the reality was, is I took this ambulance in the middle of a snowstorm to, um, Edmonton. And there was like, the whole thing was riddled with chaos. Like, the ambulance couldn't go a certain distance away from the ski hill because there was a helicopter crash. And so they didn't have their staff. And so they had to meet another ambulance that transferred me. And then like my story and my needs got lost in the transfer. And then they dropped me off at a hospital. And by the time I got to the hospital, I got abandoned behind a curtain for 12 hours and I was totally drugged up. Oh my God. And so I was on a backboard with a neck brace And when I woke up, the break was right at my diaphragm and I couldn't speak. Mm. Like I couldn't get air in and I couldn't speak. And so trying to get help, I was like, hello, hello. And it took me trying to get somebody from the hospital's attention for some time. I'm tied to a fucking piece of wood. I can't get a voice out. And I'm like now in excruciating pain and nobody's paying attention to me. And I just had to sit there. I had to lay there and be with myself. And finally someone came and they got me off the backboard. You're only supposed to be on those things for like an hour or two, as far as I know. Oh my God. Yeah. And I think I'd been on it for 13 and a half hours by the time somebody got me off of it. And the, the, you know, the tracking and the communication through the pipe just got completely lost. I was supposed to be going for CAT scan and all this stuff. And like, they just left me there. And (laughs) it was, it was this reflection of how I had abandoned myself, you know, and my philosophical mind, everything happens for a reason. Everything's happening for me, not to me. And so, and that's not a new philosophy. That's something that I carried for some time. And so I watched this all happen. And then on top of that, I'm in a town. I know I'm in a new city. I don't have any close friends. And I am literally laying in bed by myself in a hospital. You know, my brother shows up and he was in his own little crisis. He and his wife just found out they were pregnant with their fourth and it was a surprise pregnancy. And so he didn't realize the severity of my accident. My boyfriend at the time that the reason I moved there, he was in Texas for work. So he wasn't there to receive me. (laughs) And finally, my cousin drove from Saskatoon. It's like a six hour, six and a half hour drive to come and sit with me. 
And that time in the hospital, my mom eventually came, like people eventually came, but that first like 24 hours was really, really, really intense. And it was, you know, that was my turning point. That was when I decided that I wasn't going to live this life half lived. I wasn't going to forsake my mission. I was going to return to, you know, getting back on track with why I came and what I'm here to do. Wow. So that was like a real awakening point for you. Did you suffer like, so what was the recovery process like? And was there any, like what kind of, I mean, that must've been difficult on your mental health. No. So I'm the kind of person that when you go into crisis, my mental health gets better. Mm. And like, I perform very well in crisis and in hard situations. And so I think that the whispers and the sweetness of my spirit to try and get me back on track was met with my rebellion, you know, that inner rebel in me that was like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. I'm just having fun. None of this matters. Like I was an atheist for a little while. Like I didn't believe in God for a little while. And that was like a return to source moment. And I was in the hospital for 10 days. Um, I had surgery on the fourth day. Um, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I really just had to be with myself during that time. And then I, um, had another surgery 11 months later to the day that I broke my back and had all the metal that they put in taken out. And so it was like a year of really deep soul searching. And it was actually the same year that I started teaching yoga. So. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So then what was the, so what was the recovery process like then from there? Because I'm so curious about, yeah, I guess sort of like that whole awakening process. It sounds like you started to like step into, I don't know if your purpose is the word, but like really starting, like you said, like taking your life a little bit more seriously and like doing what you knew you needed to do. Yeah. I mean, it was always laid out. I was just ignoring it. You know, it was pretty obvious what I needed to be doing. I was just choosing to ignore it. I always knew that I needed to work with people. I needed to help people out of their suffering. I needed to help people with the nature of their mind. I wouldn't have been given such a complex mind if that wasn't part of my mission, Mm. you know, to live in a mind that is attacking itself, (laughs) you know, and I think I can say that with a giggle now, but I know that it's so real. It's what the majority of people are struggling with is a mind that's attacking itself. And so, um, having gone through the recovery of my own mental attack, um, is a big part of who I am and what I'm here to do. And my part of the complexity of my own mind is, is both to understand the scientific nature of the mind, as well as the mystical nature of the mind. Yeah. And I would say that in my experience, the mystical, like my saving grace is that the mystical experiences always preceded the scientific experiences. So the scientific information only validated what I was experiencing naturally. Like what five-year-old is like, I know I'm here for a reason. Like I still, I look back at five-year-old me and like four and five and six-year-old me, like, you know how people do those therapy where they're like, what's your first memory? You know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
my first memories are that torture. Wow. You know, like, so there's something, there's something there, you know, that my first memories are like sitting and praying, praying, praying to remember. And I wasn't raised in a religious family, you know, like it was just something that I did. And then I also remember doing Kriyas, like yoga Kriyas, like Nali Kriya and uh, like Udiyatabandas, which are like organ churning. I did all of that as a kid. I just did it, you know? And so there was something, there was always something stronger in me than that was mystical than any human condition. Mm. And it was the mystic in me that started to look at how do we unravel this human condition? How do we, how do we overcome these conditions basically. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to go back to, you know, as you say, the mind attacking itself, because that's something that I know I've struggled with. I still struggle with that. Um, I think that that's something, as you said, that a lot of people struggle with. Um, and something that I do, as you said, that I, that what I love so much about your teachings, um, and why I've kind of always sort of followed, I mean, you know, via Instagram and then always kind of taking part in your virtual new moon, new moon circles and whatnot is because I love, uh, the combination of, uh, that you bring of kind of that mystical world with the very kind of physical embodied, um, scientific world, I suppose we could say. Um, and, uh, and I'd love to know how, how did you transition? Was it kind of like, was there like one point or how did you, you were in that state for such a long time, you said of feeling like the mind was attacking itself. How did you kind of work yourself out of that? <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, I would say that there was, there was definitely a couple different points. I, I think that, you know, if I looked back over that long period of time from like 14 to my mid to late twenties, there were, it came in waves, you know, there was time when confidence was real and there was time when confidence was a show, but like it came in waves. And when I would come out of it, it would always be because I was sick of myself. You know, I remember one of the younger little waves, somebody said, nobody could make you happy, but yourself. And I sat, I like chewed on that statement for so long. I was like, what do you mean? Nobody can make me happy, but myself. And I chewed on it and chewed on it and chewed on it. And I was miserable. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I hated myself. And I also, that same like ferocity of will that hated myself showed up and said, I'm sick of this. You know, I'm sick of being like this. I don't want to be like this anymore. And so it was like an inner ferocity of sickness of self, (laughs) like being Uh sick of myself. Uh And um, those, those moments I, I'm a, I'm kind of a fierce person. I'm sure I'm sure you have gotten a bit of a taste for it with how excited and and and, and animated I get when I teach. But um, you know what I look at it as is as how much life force I can bring to the surface of my experience. And so when I'm feeling depressed or when I'm feeling and and even today I won't say, I wouldn't say that I feel depressed, but I feel 
not depressed in the clinical sense, but my energy will be depressed. Like I'll get late, lethargic and not want to get out of bed and not want to do anything and scroll and scroll and scroll. And, you know, there's times when, when I'm still really battling myself. Um, and feel like I'm not worthy and, you know, name it, it shows up still, (laughs) you know? Um, but what I do in those times is I recognize that I have to conjure more life force to the surface of my experience and that conjuring forth of life force, you know, you can see it if you watch a pro, like I live in Canada, I have the hockey influence. Like when you see a hockey player just charging for the puck, like the amount, that sheer presence of an energy that is there. Or if you see uh, like a gentle, uh, fierce presence, like a mother with a brand new baby where there's nothing that could get in the way of their presence with their baby, you know? And like that, that, that experience of, of bringing life force to the surface of your experience is another language around presence and when the life force is receded and there's layers and fog and thoughts and feelings and story and you know the millions of different layers of soot or 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 you know dust that prevents us from seeing life through a present lens um, life force is retracted and that's where you know the demons can start to fill the space between you and reality. Mm. And so what I'm looking at rather than attempting to say something's wrong with us, because there's nothing wrong with us. Like when we're feeling sad and melancholy or we're having flashes of a traumatic experience showing up, like reliving an old trauma, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. This is actually the mind, um, attempting to purge that experience, you know, like it's, it's trying, it's reliving it because it's not done. The experience is not done yet. We, there's energy stuck and it's trying to release itself. Mm. And so like primarily the, the belief that there's nothing wrong with us when we're experiencing any of these times, has mm-hmm. to, that has to come first. And then, and then what can I do to conjure more life force to the experience, to the surface of my experience? So <laughs> I don't know if that really answers it. <laughs> no, no, that was good. Um, <laughs> it made me think of, I can't remember the exact analogy that you used. It was during some circle at some point in time, but um you know, I think as a, as a whole, we're transitioning into this sort of, you know, as you said, this, this, this great dissolve. Um, one of the, one of the things I think that's dissolving is this, is this fear of emotion. And, um, I remember you once talking about emotions getting stuck in the body and you used a train analogy, I think, do you you recall this? Or was that just like you channeling something or (laughs) no, that was actually a parenting teaching. I think I was sharing. Oh, was it? Yeah. So with kids, you want to let the emotion play itself out all the way. You don't want to interrupt the emotion because if we interrupt the emotion, it then gets stuck, repressed and shoved back into the body. And then it always seeks an outlet to express. And so I said, like, we let the emotion move like a train. We let the emotion move all the way through the station until it expires itself. 
because it's energy in motion. And so, mm. yeah, anytime, you know, I think one of my teachers defines trauma as too fast, too much, too soon, or maybe too soon, too much, too fast. I'm not sure the order exactly that she says it in, but it doesn't allow us to actually process the whole experience in the moment. So it gets stuck in us. And then, you know, these emotional experiences, you know, when we're kids, little things can cause a big stuck emotion in the body that then forever plays itself out. And it becomes one of these filters through which we see the world. And until that original experience with the emotion has a chance to, to complete itself, it will forever be scanning and seeking circumstances in our lives to have a chance to finish itself, to be heard, to be seen, to be expressed. And so a lot of times when we're dealing with our own emotion, big emotions, we're actually, you know, our two, three, five, seven, 12, 15, 35 year old self is still trying to play out a previous experience. It's trying to complete a previous experience. Yeah. And so, and we've had such a fear around emotions and, you know, I've been trying to relate to emotions more like a shamanic ceremony lately, you know, like what if I, what if I went into this grief or I went into this pain or I went into the sadness knowing that it's only going to last for some time and then it's going to be complete because I think one of the biggest fears that we have around letting our emotions flow is that we'll be stuck like that forever mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know we'll let ourselves get sad and then we'll be stuck being sad forever and so we don't let ourselves feel it and then we get stuck where if yeah. you can see it as a shamanic ceremony you know, I don't know if this is appropriate to share, but I will anyways, you know, I've, I've sat in, um, an ayahuasca ceremony and, you know, those ceremonies, they're hard, they're hard. They like, for me, they've been hard and I've had to face a lot of stuff, but part of the reason that makes it okay is I know that it's going to be done, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I'm able to go much deeper and embrace my shadow in a more spectacular way because I know that it has a completion point. When the medicine has its has run its course, I come back to myself. And mm -hmm. if I look at an emotion as a medicine that needs to run its course, then I also recognize that it does too have an expiry date. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, this was one of the biggest things that helped me through the death of my father. You know, I, I stayed really, really present to it the whole way through. I didn't fight the emotion. I didn't fight. I, I accepted his death as it was happening so that I could move through the grieving process live and in the moment rather when than did, pushing it off. When did, you, when did you lose him? My dad died in 2013. I'd love to kind of um, change direction a little and start talking about, because something that I think, at least I know for myself and a lot of people, you know, the one thing that so many people are looking for is purpose, right? Yeah. Like, what is my purpose? What is my purpose? Yeah. Um. And I'd love to hear more about your like transition into and, and all the stuff that came up with it. Um, f f you know, cause I, I know you were, you were teaching yoga, you were doing your moon circles. And then um, I'd love to talk about the astronidras and attuned to the moon and all of that. Like, cause you, you seem to me at least like you are like 
I don't want to say at your peak, because that means you're going to come down on the other side. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I mean at all. But like, you're like, really, I feel like you're like in your stride. And I can see it. Like, like you said, um, you were saying fierce, but I see you as just like, so incredibly passionate about what you do. And it's so amazing to witness someone when they're in that power and in that purpose. But I know that it takes time to get there. So I'd love to um, I'd love to know what that kind of journey has been like for you. Yeah, that's a great question. I think this question of what's my purpose has lived on the forefront of my whole entire life. Even when I was forsaking myself, you know, but, um, I think, I think the most important thing to remember when seeking our purpose is that if we don't know our purpose, our purpose is to seek our purpose you know, mm-hmm. and that if you don't know what it is, it's okay. Because the truth is it changes many, many times over the course of your life. Mm. At least that's my understanding of it with my present level of consciousness. And if, if our purpose is merely to seek our purpose, then we look at life through a lens of, is this for me? Or is this for somebody else? And when, when attempting to find purpose, it's not necessarily the same as what you're good at, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is something to contemplate, you know, like we, we have things and this is all in our natal charts. Like there are things in our chart that show like this will come more naturally to you. You know, you will have skills that come naturally to you. And we can see this in, in our natal chart or our, our birth chart. And then there's a growing edge. And, and the things that come naturally to us may perhaps be, if you believe in multiple lifetimes, may be a life already f- fulfilled, mm. you know? And so if we only follow what we're good at and we don't follow what makes us come alive we're off track when we're looking for purpose you're looking for what makes you come alive like what excites you what ignites curiosity what do you not want to put down you know Mm -hmm. and for me I mean, yoga and yoga nidra and meditation and astrology have all been that, you know, and I have a business degree, (laughs) you know, I I have a business degree. I can, you know, I understand marketing and finances and, and, you know, small business management and all of those things. And I'm pretty good at that, but it depletes my life force. You know, it doesn't make me come alive. It actually causes me to be stressed out. I start to procrastinate. You know, like I would in a dream world, if this is my stride, if I'm in my prime, I hope that it moves to a phase where I can have somebody taking care of all of that stuff (laughs) so that Mm -hmm. I could just stay in the creative flow. Um, Because that part, although I'm good at it and I can do it, it's not making me come alive. And so I think like those are some good breadcrumb clues for people when they're seeking or when they're trying to understand that is that it's not necessarily what you're good at, but it's what makes you come alive. And for me, um, I knew I hit another level with it when I stopped having to think. So as somebody who came from an 
incredibly complex and busy mind that was attacking itself. I first had to get through those, that complexity. And so movement became medicine and meditation became a way to like focus and concentrate my mind. And it was very masculine in nature. Um, breath work has been, you know, paramount to my transformation. Mm. And it was when I started to get real about yoga nidra, where I started to really build a relationship with the world within myself that was beyond thought. Because when I was meditating or doing asana, like I'm doing asana, I'm thinking like, okay, how does my leg need to go here? What's the alignment of my ribs? Where does my arm go? Like there's a thinking experience for me anyways, within the practice of yoga. Mm-hmm. And then in meditation, I was trying to like control my mind. I was like, okay, so I know you've got 10,000 things that you want to pay attention to, but I want you to pay attention to this one thing. Right. And then breath started to move me into my body where all of a sudden it was like, wait a minute, breath. I can feel my lungs. Now I'm thinking about my lungs and I'm thinking about the experience that's in my body, but I'm still thinking, but I'm not thinking about something else. I'm thinking about my, mo- my moment to moment felt experience. And then that moved me into body scans and then Vipassana meditation and the body scan and that kind of meditation started to move me beyond my mind. But then it was in the practice of yoga nidra where initiated by a body scan, I, I feel like I walked into a field of presence that was beyond all of it. It was beyond form. It was beyond my body. It was beyond my thinking mind and it, it's in a realm of creation. And this mm-hmm. realm of creation is where I met my teacher, you know, the, the teacher that lives inside of me, because now instead of thinking, I'm listening. Mm-hmm. And that, that experience, and I'm witnessing. And so I'm not thinking about how I need to be when I'm there. Instead, I'm allowing myself to be somewhere that is infinitely vast and connected to the source of all things. And I, like my experience in that is it's a completely different chemical experience. Um, if we think every emotion has a chemical that, you know, works with it, you know, like stress has stress hormones and love has love hormones in that world, it's a different chemical. And in the chemical that I experience within the state of yoga nidra is more hallucinogenic in nature where I'm being shown, like I'm being shown. I'm, I'm, it's, you know, to bring it back to the ayahuasca ceremony, it's like, I'm able to have the conversation with source that I've longed my whole entire life. Mm. And so when I got there in the practice, and, and learned to, to sustain presence in that field of infinite consciousness, then I was, I've been given directions on what path and purpose is. And so you have to understand that for 20 years, I've been praying every day. How can I serve? What is my purpose? How can I serve? What is my purpose? That's how I initiate every meditation and every practice is how can I serve? What is my purpose? And, you know, 20 years of practice, I I would say like 15 years of practice and then finding the state of yoga nidra, that's where, you know, I don't feel like I created the astro nidras. I feel like I was instructed to do this. And even when I, even when I bring them through now, I'm not 
intellectualizing the practice, I prepare myself to receive the practice and then I translate what is shown to me. Mm. So, and sometimes that means like I need to do some research, like the current Astro Nidra is about the kidneys. So I had to learn about the kidneys. Like I had to understand like, what are the kidneys? What's their purpose? What's their function? And I have a teacher that I go to, to help me understand the physiology. And then I start to meditate with them and I start to go into them and I play Mm. with them in the practice of yoga nidra. And when I'm in that state, I start to ask them like, what do you want me to show the people? (laughs) You know, which sounds kind of crazy. I did the Libra like two hours ago. (laughs) Oh, you did. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, It was was amazing. I mean, I love, I love the astronidras. And for those, for the people who are listening, who don't know, what yoga nidra is, um, can you explain like what it is and how you combine it with the astrology? Sure. So I would call if, if I was going to make a comparison, which kind of sucks, but it's a ground through which we can learn and understand meditation would be the masculine consort to the feminine experience of yoga nidra. And so meditation is the seated upright position where you're trying to control and harness the mind and tame the mind. Where in yoga nidra, you're laying down and rather than saying this emotion is not allowed right now and trying to go into the equanimous state that we often seek in meditation, we actually open ourselves up and say everything, every part of me is welcome here. 100% every emotion, every experience, everything is welcome into this experience. And then the practice itself, it walks you through uh, the layers of self from the most obvious to the most subtle until the, yeah, until you, it's kind of like you, uh, I was going to say, it's kind of like you turn inside out because Mm -hmm. the inner world becomes more real than the outer world. You know, the experience of your world within is far more real than the Mm -hmm. experience of the world Mm -hmm. outside. And I think that there's a lot of teachings that say everything you need to know is inside yourself. Listen to that voice inside. But there aren't very many teachings that actually show you how to get there. And Yoga Nidra is really a map to that. It's, It's a map to that. Yeah. 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 And then you put, you kind of create, as you said, you sort of receive um, this practice within the astrology of a certain time period, right? So you do it kind of within each lunar cycle. Is that correct? So I actually do it within the sun season. So when the sun is in Libra from, you know, you know, yeah. And I make them then, but what I've realized is that the one that we use in the sun season is very relevant to use again at the full moon, which is exactly six months later. And so the full moon is reflecting the polar opposite, like the polarity point. So we're in Libra season right now. The full moon was in Aries. Aries is exactly across the sky from us. Um, from Libra. And so the full moon is in Aries because the moon is on one side of the earth and the sun is on the opposite side of the earth. Mm -hmm. And when we look at the two, we understand a greater wholeness. And so where Libra is relationships, it's the, the experience with another, the Aries is the experience with self. It's how to be centered within ourselves with almost no regard for other. And Mm -hmm. in Libra, and I'm taking that to a bit of an extreme, it's much more than that. In Libra, it's almost self-sacrificing of self in order to be with other. 
And again, that's an extreme, like just to illustrate, but then you put the two of them together and you find this balance between self and other where self isn't completely sacrificed, but also not selfish where mm-hmm. we're able to be with other people and find that middle ground where compassion and consideration and collaboration really thrive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, speaking of self and other, um, I would love to also know a little bit more about, I think another really important topic and something that, that a lot of people struggle with is, and I'm sure we could go way deeper into this. We don't need to go crazy, crazy deep into this, but, um, is romance. And, um, and if you're, if you want to, we don't have to go into this, but I'd love to know a little bit more about like you and your husband and, um, and kind of that world and how, how, and I know just from all from following you on Instagram, you guys met at Burning Man. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, we did. Um, it's a, it's actually funny. Mark and I were just talking about this the other day. There's a few people that try to claim they they introduced us, but ultimately it was a mutual friend of both Mark and I. Her name is Elena Brower. He was brought over to where I was camping at Burning Man, actually to set him up with um, a woman named Allie Bogard, who I worked with for you know years. Allie actually was my first yoga teacher. And uh, unknowingly, I interrupted their introduction, and Mark claims love at first sight. He looked at me, and he was like, whoa, you have my favorite face. And I was like, ah, okay, you're <laughs> weird. Let's go. you know. And then, And then sure enough, we... We got chatting and, and he, for him, it was love at first sight. For me, it was a feeling. It was a feeling that came in my heart um, when he was there that I didn't recognize it in the moment, but when he left, the hole was so much bigger. And then when I found him again on the playa, the hole was, it was whole again. And so wow. it was my heart speaking to me more than my intellect. And my intellect was like, this is a girl's trip. I'm single. And my heart was like, you just met your man. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. How long have you been together? Uh, we met in 2012, August of 2012. So eight years. And, so, and he teaches, or he's a, he does Reiki, right? He does. <laughs> and he, so I'd love for you to touch a little bit just for anyone listening who's interested in kind of like, learning more from you and about you. Cause I know that Mark is involved in attuned to the moon and attuned to the moon is your kind of your new, your new, um, I was gonna say your new baby. You do actually have a new physical baby, a new human. Baby. <laughs> yeah. I have a new human. <laughs> well, he's 11 months old. So attuned to the moon actually is a concept. I actually bring it back to Alina Brower again. So when my first son was born, um, I was talking to Elena about making what is, has turned into the astro journal and Elena was like, let's do it together. And what do we call it? We'll call it a tune to the moon. And we kind of brainstormed on this. And then, you know, she was living in New York and I was living in California and she's, her kid was, you know, self-sustained and I was in the depths of early motherhood. And so the pace of our life was two different things. And she went on to do practice you, which is a very well published book. And and attuned to the moon went into incubation. <laughs> and, um, and I spent more time with the astro nidras and the new moon circles and all of those things in person. And I started to develop those out as recordings, um, based off people's requests. You know, there was people at love yoga that were like, you should record these. And I was like, what? Nobody would give a shit about this. Like, mm-hmm. why would I do that? And uh, sure enough, I did. And there was interest. And so, you know, attuned to the moon, I feel like has been growing very organically for a long time. Um, Mm -hmm. And 
uh, I more formally when everything happened with the pandemic and everything moved to be online, I decided, I just got this really loud message that I had to hold a virtual new moon circle for the Aries new moon circle. Mm-hmm. And we, I did. And there was like 336 people that, that decided that would be a good idea. I was there. I was it, there. I remember being like, holy shit, there's a lot of people on this call. Yeah. It, it really, it blew my mind that that many people wanted to do that. And the astronauts that I had been putting out for three years, they, the demand for those, you know, if I was selling one, now all of a sudden I was selling three, you know, like if there was, mm-hmm. you know, 10 downloads, now there's 30. And so like overnight, the demand or the desire for this work grew exponentially. And then we moved some classes online and I'd been planning on building this new website for quite some time. And, um, for a number of reasons, you know, we all get in our own way and I, I hadn't been doing it. And so I actually, um, only engaged in somebody to build out the website when I, when the pandemic happened and I built like a cheap little Wix website that I built myself to host these online classes. And now we are just a, hopefully a couple of weeks away from launching a website that is attuned to the moon and we built it from scratch. Like the website is actually, I'm so excited about it. I am like bursting. I can't believe that it's not published in the world yet, but basically what I, what we've done is it built a website that instead of it running on a 24 hour clock, seven days a week, the back end of the website is built off the timing of the planets, the sun, the moon, and all of the planets. And you can imagine each planet, um, or the sun and the moon as a carousel. And in the back end of the website, I have practices that are linked into the carousel. So on the front end, like what you will see as the, as the student would be a, um, or as the seeker would be only the practices that are relevant to today's astrology. Wow. Yeah. And so it'll be a membership. It's a membership based website. I want to keep the price relatively low because I feel like it's more important to get the teachings out and the community built than for me to make a ton of money mm-hmm. off of it. Um, but so, yeah, it, it, one of the things that I see happening, I mean, how many times do you sit down to watch something on Netflix? And you spend an hour just trying to choose what you're going to watch. And then you're tired by the and you fall asleep. And then it takes you like three tries to watch it. So decision fatigue is a real thing. And so by doing this and only being able to see the practices that are relevant to today's astrology, we reduce dis- decision fatigue in a pretty big way. But more importantly, what we then have is a community that is working and practicing the same thing at the same time. Mm. And so if mm-hmm. as a community, and this is a global community, we have people practicing in Europe and Australia and New Zealand and Singapore and um, Indonesia and um, Canada and the US and South America and Central America, you know, like it actually is a global community. Um, we have people all over the world focusing on the same area of self-improvement as guided by the stars. And so that guidance by the stars then allows us to almost like create a web or a, or a shared consciousness of self-improvement um, and working in the, or maybe not self-improvement, but like self-awareness yeah. and working in the quantum together in that way. I feel like it will really bolster all of our efforts. Astrology and like, what is the importance of that? And how much do you feel that it really does affect us? And like, can it affect us mentally and, and yeah, and physically? 
Well, you know, astrology is ancient. We've been using the stars to navigate our reality as long as humans have been here, whether it's using the stars when you're a ship out at sea or planting and by the moon, you know, we, we use the seasons as a guide for life and the stars and the seasons. They're, they're guides, they're guides. It's embedded in our, in our history as a, as a humanity. And we've forgotten that. And when we look at just the bare, bare, bare basics, like if we go back like pre-technology when there was no light bulb, the, and our endocrine system was ruled by the sun because when the sun rises and light comes into our world, the pineal gland reduces, uh, um, sorry, produces serotonin and it wakes us up. And when the sun goes down and there's darkness, we then get melatonin and that puts us to sleep. And this regulation is called a circadian rhythm. And we already know that if we can get our circadian rhythms back to their nature, all we start to heal on a multitude of ways. And so our first endocrine disruptor is the advent of light. And um, we live in this artificial world where we're under fluorescent lights, where we are able to get food out of season, where we don't need to even garden our own food anymore. We're out of relationship with the earth. We're out of relationship with the very thing that allows us to live. You know, like how did human, how did humans get here? There's a mystery, but there is a number of conditions that were just right for us to be birthed into this reality that we now know. And we're so far away. We've moved so far away from that origin of our remembering that we are one with nature, mm. that we're sick. You know, humanity is sick. We are at a tipping point of dis-ease. We are disconnected. We are polluting the earth. We are, you know, we're suffering in so many ways. And so if we can start to bring ourselves back into that original rhythm, that, that, um, you know, rhythm with the sun to the, the, our, our rhythm with the season, our rhythm with nature, with growing our own food, with understanding these very primal, um, uh, synchronistic healing modalities that purely come by remembering mm -hmm. our origin. Mm -hmm. And so that's what astrology really does. If you start to pay attention, you are like, I know most women that I, and I say women because that's who primarily I work with. Um, but most humans would probably be more accurate is when you start to pay attention to the rhythms of the moon and to the seasons, you start to notice these very obvious themes. Like I talk to so many mothers that are like, my kids don't sleep. I'm like, but it's not every night. And I said, Oh, great. Start tracking the moon, you know? Mm -hmm. And that sure enough, they come back and they're like, my kid doesn't sleep around the full moon. <laughs> like, right. You know, yeah. that's, that's what's happening. And with ourselves, um, I've noticed the more I, the more I follow it, the less I'm concerned with the artificial world, mm. you know, yeah. And I can say that even super dramatically from living in Venice versus where I am right now, you know, Venice, I was like, Oh, I need this order on Amazon. I was totally an Amazon junkie. 
And now we're like, okay, we need food. The farmer's market are these days. I know where this farmer is. I can get eggs over there. I've got a garden growing in my backyard, Mm. you know? And like, even the other day, we've got a plum tree in our yard. And I don't know if you've ever lived with a plum tree, but it's ridiculous how many plums (laughs) you get off one tree. It's ridiculous. Mm. And I'm sure, you know, any tree, you know, you have a fruit tree in your yard. You have to, you have to, you know, harvest on time. And then you have to do something with the fruit. And I was standing in my kitchen and I've got two giant sinkfuls of plums. And this is not even like a quarter of what's off the tree. And I'm washing the plums and I've got my little boy. He's lining them up in straight lines, you know. And as I was doing this, I just like tapped into for a moment this rhythm of all these humans harvesting plums right now. The plums are all ripe. And I was like, wow, there are so many humans with me, alone with me washing their plums, making fruit leather, making jelly, making chutney, you know, all the things that we're doing with these plums, drying them out. And, you know, we're now, now I'm in a rhythm with the tree, with the season, with, you know, that ripeness and, and, and all these other humans doing the same thing. Right. And then, and then that rhythm creates its own meditative experience. Yeah. But we're missing that that naturally ingrained meditative experience because we go to the store and just buy it. Yeah. yeah. So the astrology is essentially returning us to these rhythms. And yeah. the more we get in sync with these rhythms, the more harmonious we all become. Because it's like the great unifier in this land of divide that we live in right now. Mm-hmm. And with astrology, something I'd love to lightly touch on, because this could probably be another long, long conversation, but um, is kind of looking um, at future astrology. And I would love to know when there is any relief. Is there any relief coming? That's a really good question. (laughs) Um, The answer is, if you are seeking the life that was before this, you're going to continue to suffer. Because what we're moving into is so different than where we've been. Astrologically speaking, there's no going back. There's no going back. And, you know, we have... I mean, I'm, I'm looking into 2021 now and I don't actually see a lot of reprieve for a while. And, um, at the end of this year, um, we have, uh, it's called a Jupiter Saturn conjunction. It's called the great conjunction. And in and of itself, it's not that significant. It happens every 20 years. It is, but it isn't. Mm-hmm. But this year it's different because what happens at the great conjunction is we, the Saturn and J- Jupiter, will meet in the same element for 200 years. And so it takes 800 years before it returns to an element again. And right now in December, this year in December, we are going to see it happen in air. And we haven't seen that for 800 years. Whoa. Yeah. And so if you look at the last 200 years, it's been happening in earth and this earth is like the material world. It's marketing, it's house, it's belongings, it's acquiring things, it's material. 
And now we're moving into air. It's informational. It's content. It's, you know, like this, how you are on one side of the, like you're in the UK and I'm in, in British Columbia and we're having a conversation instantly. This is very much air. You know, we've all been booted out of our offices and we're communicating through the airwaves. Like this is the future. If we're not embracing this air like future, we are um, going to be suffering because of it. And so, you know, that's one, but then also this, this Saturn Pluto conjunction happens every 138 years, but it also is, um, an, uh, from like 1541, I believe, you know? So like, again, it's this big long cycle that's coming to completion. And then like, I could go on with all these other cycles. There's a multitude of cycles. We haven't had a convergence of cycles ending and beginning like we are this year and next. And so, yeah. And so we, we have to have to, if we want to thrive, let go of the life that we had, we have to. And, and it doesn't mean that it's all gone in garbage. I loved, I was listening to Guru Singh, who is one of my teachers. And he said, if you, he said he, so Guru Singh was teaching in the house that he grew up in. And as he's sitting in this room in the house that he grew up in, he was explaining that when he was a kid, you know, there was a tree that was planted and this tree was then 80 years old. And it, the tree itself being in the city and being so close to a house began to be a bit of a hazard. It was causing like cracks in the foundation and it was wrecking the sidewalk, you know, and they had to cut down this tree and the tree didn't die though, because what they did is they cut down the tree and then they repurposed it. And then he showed, he was like, this coffee table is that tree. The tree is still alive serving a new purpose, but it's still out of its foundation of being a tree. It's still serving its purpose. Do you see what I'm saying? And then he went on to explain like all the things that the tree is doing, even though it's not in its original form, it's repurposed into a form that's relevant for today. And so when we're looking at this transformation, it's not like I need to stop teaching yoga or I need to stop doing astrology or I need to stop doing these astronidras. It's the way that I disseminate that information into the world is changing. Mm hmm you know? And so some things that we dreamed of before that weren't possible are now going to become possible. Wow. Some of the limitations and the boundaries that we experienced are now going to be liberated. Mm. And some of the old structures that kept us bound that were toxic are going to leave. So it's exciting if you can look at it that way. And I say that with with, you know, cause you asked me about the future. I, and I say that with a complete understanding of how tragic and challenging this time is, you know, it's, yeah. I'm not, yeah. I'm not, um, undermining how grand the transformation that we're going through right now is. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. So what are your, to keep you grounded, especially through everything that's going on and having two young children, what are your kind of most cherished practices or do you have regular practices that do keep you grounded? Mm -hmm. Yeah. My biggest one is not taking on more than I can handle, Mm. you know, and and I'm, I'm like really, uh, rejecting urgency, (laughs) 
Mm. Like really rejecting urgency. I, I know that you sent like not you, but like I know that people are used to getting an email responded to in a couple hours. I take a couple weeks if that, you know, like I'm not really into urgency. I'm into presence and I'm, I'm more into, um, integrity of the heart rather than integrity of the head. You know, integrity of the head says, I said I would do this. So I'm going to do it. Integrity of the heart says, I said I would do this, but circumstances are different now. And Mm -hmm. I need to follow what's true for me. And I need to honor my intuition. I'm sorry if that hurts you or disrupts you. Yeah. But I know you're going to understand. Yeah. You know, and, and, um, I, I do my own astronidras because I mean, when I listen to them, they do feel like they come from somebody else. They do feel like important medicine right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also, I'm not perfect at it, but I'm really trying to develop a stronger sense of sleep hygiene. So getting a lot of sleep and spending time in nature. And then of course I do, I do yoga. I don't do it every day though. I meditate, but I don't do it every day. I'm not an hour. I don't sit for an hour. You know, to me, that's a thing that people without children have the luxury of doing mm-hmm. for me. You know, like if I get an, if I get five minutes or 20 minutes in, that's so good. My yoga nidra is where I do longer stints of time. You know, they're like 30 to 45 minutes long. Yeah. And yeah. that I'm really committed to that. Okay. And, and, and like getting out of nature, but also just like, wild presence with my children. Mm, I bet that is such medicine. It's hard. I have to admit it's, I have a hard time with it. (laughs) It's hard. Yeah. I can only imagine, especially in this madness with your abrupt move and yeah, everything going on. Um, so I'd love for you to quickly tell me about your grandmother. If you feel like that's something you want to share. Yeah. So what, what was the question that you asked exactly that brought that? So, so part of the season that there feels like this, like there's something coming through where I'm, I'm, I feel this need to give voice, um, to women, whether that we, whether we knew who they were, whether they're a grandparent or a mother or whomever, any female, it's like, it's like this female voice, um, for women who were silenced or who were failed by the system or who just challenged the status quo or who just lived. I mean, everybody's living an extraordinary life to some degree, right? Like we're all here for a certain purpose, as you said. Um, and so it's just giving, giving voice to women who, lived in times where they didn't have the opportunity that we do now to speak. Okay. Yes, definitely my grandmother. So my mom's mom, her name is Myrtle. Um, she was a total badass. <laughs> she's really, you know, my memories of her, she's in like a polyester dress with giant boobs and lots of hugs and a big smile and warm food <laughs> and everybody was welcome. And, you know, she just held this, incredible loving presence that brought a sense of calm, like everything is going to be okay. And when I, when she passed away, um, everybody that knew her, not everybody, but a bunch of people that knew her, they made a book about her and it was filled with stories. And one of the stories that really stuck out to me was she was, um, living in Saskatchewan in a small town, you know, less than 25 people. (laughs) I mean, their family was the biggest thing. 
but um, the the far, it was a farming community, and there was no bank in the area. And the the you know the 30s was a really tough time. There was no money. The soil was inhospitable. They call it the dirty 30s for a reason. And um, my my grandmother used her husband, my grandfather's name, to establish a credit union in the neighborhood. And she had a safe in her basement. And she decided that she was going to be the lender for the farmers because if we didn't have, if the farmers didn't have the money to get the seeds, that that we would not have food. You know, there wouldn't be food for the area, and that would crush the economy. And so, what my grandmother did is she got the money and she was able to lend the money, but she didn't follow the banking rules because it was impossible. There's no way that they could pay it back. So she was like a buffer between what was really happening with the money and what the credit union was, was um, wanting with the money. And sure enough, because of her heart and the way that she dealt with everybody, everybody made good on their debts. Everybody made good on their loans. And um, she was able to help that whole community survive. And wow. right. Like t- so badass. And, and wow. she, she was, you know, the, the, the leader of a lineage of teachers. If I look at my family, she had, she birthed seven daughters and one son, many of which are teachers, <laughs> you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, so the, this lineage of wisdom keepers, my grandmother also is Sami of like descent, Sami descent. So that's the, the first people of Scandinavia up into the Siberian taiga is the origin of the Sami people. And I think that she carried a lot of that, a lot of that wisdom with her. Um, but ultimately when I look at, you know, the education that I have from like tantric philosophy and, and, um, you know, this yoga philosophy, although my grandmother wasn't a tantrika or she wasn't a yogi, she definitely lived by that, by the same rules, you know, like people first, heart first, treat everybody with loving kindness and fairness and, and believe in people. People are inherently good. And, you know, she just, she just had had a way of bringing the best out of people. You know, when Mm. people say my grandmother's name, they immediately soften and smile. Mm. So amazing. Thank Mm -hmm. you for sharing that. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and her nickname was Mama Myrtle because she was the mama to so many. <laughs> love that. Yeah. Um, so I think we're pretty much ready to wrap it up. I'd love um, for you to let people know where they can find you and find your Astro Nidras and, and all of that stuff. I know you said the website's launching, the new website's launching in a few weeks. Hopefully, yes. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, so the website's just attuned to the moon.com. There's a temporary thing up there right now. We do all kinds of things. We've got practices coming, not just Astro Nidras, but walking, cosmic walking meditations, universal breath practices, ground space embodiment practices. We've got some embodied yin. There's just, you know, uh, mythological hypnosis as well. And everything is is connected to the current astrology. And then we also do these journeys. Um, Julian Elizabeth, who's on our team, uh, is the mastermind behind them. But right now we're in the middle of one where Mars is retrograde. And so it's this online community where... Tuesday nights, my husband does uh, distance Reiki and healing sessions. Wednesday, we get into the astrology. And then Saturday, we do an embodiment practice. And then we have this online portal um, where community can thrive. So everybody, there's different places, like different topics that you can talk about. And it's just a place for people to connect as well. Wow. Um, and so that that's attuned to the moon. Um, my Instagram 
for that is attuned to the moon again, all one word. And then uh, my personal is Jana underscore Romer, R-O-E-M-E-R. And um, my website is janaromer.com and I keep all of that updated as well. And then I think really we could give, uh, when are you going to release this podcast? Because I could give a download of a sample, like of an astronomer to your listeners, if you want. Yeah, let's do that. I'd love that. Um, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy life. Mm, thank you for having me. Chat. And um, I don't know, I'll be seeing you, I guess, on Instagram and at your next moon circle. I will, new moon circle, I should say. Okay. Um, and yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you so much for having me. This has been a fun conversation. I've always really enjoyed every, every chance I've had to touch in with you. So thank you for having me You're and, welcome. uh, yeah, the next new moon circle. We'll see you then. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode with Jana. I will put all of her info and any other info from the episode in the show notes, including the discount code for Attune to the Moon, which I highly recommend you do. Um, if you have any questions or comments for me, please feel free to DM me or email me. I absolutely, truly love hearing from you. And thank you again, as always, for listening.